for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm for Brainwaves, Melbourne's drive-time radio show. Giving voice to people with mental illness. One in five have a mental illness, but five in five can enjoy this great program featuring heartwarming stories, great information and some laughs as well. Find us at 3CR. 855 on your AM dial. Sponsored by Mental Illness Fellowship of Victoria. Is something worrying you? Need someone to talk to? Having trouble at work or at home? Call WIRE Women's Information on 1300 134 130 Monday to Friday 9am to 5pm. Talk to a woman who cares. It's free and confidential Victoria-wide. You can talk to us about anything. You can also talk to us in your own language through our telephone interpreter service. So call WIRE on 1300 134 130 or visit wire.org.au. WIRE is a 3CR supporter. Welcome to Brainwaves. You're on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am on your dial. And with us today is B, who has written a play about schizophrenia. Um, welcome, B. Um, it's great to have you with us today. B's play is Hamlet's Angel. Over to you, B. Hi, hi. I uh, started writing Hamlet's Angel about uh, in 1997 when I was at VCA. I wrote a sort of comedic version of Hamlet called A Short Surrealist Venture on Hamlet, a play in one act. Because uh, I really wanted to, to tell Ophelia's story and also my paternal grandmother's story, Christine, who had schizophrenia. And um, I tried to write for three years and not much came out. But um, in 2000, over the new year, I had a breakdown myself and ended up in a psych unit in Melbourne and six months later was diagnosed with schizophrenia. So the story I thought I was going to write about my grandmother and Ophelia was actually became my own story. Thank you, B. And now we're going to hear the first section of B's play, Hamlet's Angel. I am Christine. Everybody's carrying their faces like petals, softer in the rain, we weep. Set upon a dais, undressed, and unaware, you would have us plucked and pruned, perfumed so we smell sweet, unattainable, raped so as to own us back again. Woman, the greatest of all pretenses, agonizingly crafted over centuries by the hands of intrigued men. Didn't you know? 
Women are made angels. Ophelia, she is Hamlet's angel, soft and yielding, but broken. Here there is the untold story of a young woman driven to madness, destroyed by her father's death and broken again at Hamlet's words. In a moment of clarity, before her demise, she says, We know what we are, but know not what we may be. I'm going to tell you a tale. It begins with my grandmother, Christine. When I was about 11, she wrote me a letter and told me the most fascinating anecdote. It's only short, so pay attention. The French Revolution must have been terrible. Some of my relations escaped from the French court. They were musicians and courtiers and came to live in London where they lived for a while. One young girl had a baby which was cradled in a violin case. So there were hippies even in those days. They were called bohemians. I think your love of dance and rhythm comes from there. Well, what do you think? Cradled in a violin case. They escaped the French Revolution. I didn't think much of that when I was 11. My grandma had sent me a book, The Scarlet Pimpernel, which captivated my attention more than the story. I was a serious, serious bookworm those days. I used to read till 6am in the morning and was always late for school. I was a nerd, a dreamer and a pom, which, by the way, I'm told, means prisoner of Mother England. You know what? I think I'll always be a nerd, a dreamer and a prisoner. But you'll have to wait a while for that last one to understand. <sighs> I hope you don't mind. The fags, I mean. A friend said today that smoking was a sign of weakness and that when you smoke, everyone can see you're weak. I think weakness is good. Visible weakness, even better. I am just a weak and beautifully flawed human being. Virginia Woolf did say, to be ill-adjusted to a deranged world is hardly madness. <sighs> and I'd have to agree with her. I would so love to write something like a room of one's own. You know, my grandfather has a beer named after him. Tarka's Tipple. I've had it. I was pissed after just one glass. English beer. Warm. Mmm. Gets you pissed pretty quickly. Grandpa was a well-known English writer, Henry Williamson. His most famous work was Tarka the Otter. But my grandma wrote too, 
her one and only manuscript was 173,000 words long. For so long now, I've wanted to write her story. But in fact, she's written it herself. How beautiful she must have been. She married my grandpa when she was only 29. He was 54. When I was younger, I thought this age gap was so extreme, so out of the ordinary. But now, as I reach 32, it doesn't seem so odd. She went mad, you know, my grandma. Why? I don't know. I used to think he drove her to it, that Grandpa's dictatorial, aggressive and tyrannical manner drove her to madness. Now I'm not so sure. Psych texts say anyone subjected to enough stress may be pushed to a psychotic break. She was diagnosed as schizophrenic when my dad was a young boy. She was put on heavy tranquilizers, and, dread of all dreads, she had ECT five or so times, which by all accounts was horrid back in the 50s in remote Devon. Christine was born in 1920. She came from a long line of musicians, played violin and sang beautifully. In 1949, she moved into a five-acre property with Henry, which Grandfather called Ox's Cross, in North Devon. My dad was born there, and, 25 years later, I was born there. She established a large garden with fruit trees. They had chickens and lots of corn. During this time, they all slept in a caravan while Henry wrote in the writing shack he had built in 1928. Christine established an independent local school with her friend Elizabeth Olive, She was a dedicated educationalist. She was also very into theatre. Henry was a loving man, an eccentric, and a genius. He often comes to me in spirit when he thinks I should get out my dancing shoes and have some fun. He was a truly great man and a beautiful soul, but very troubled from the trauma of the First World War and his childhood. The story goes, one day, when Henry was away in London on business, Christine decided to file all his documents in a nice big cabinet. Despite having asked for this to be done for years, Henry got back and flew into a rage, which he often did, saying he could not find anything anymore, that she had completely ruined any order he had established. He beat Christine up badly. Dad says Henry was always angry, wild. He used to stand outside his writing hut and shoot over the caravan roof with his rifle when dinner wasn't served on time or when he wanted his tea. When Dad was nine, he was sent away to boarding school in Exeter. During this time, Christine was going to anti-nuclear marches and wanted to go to Geneva to protest against the imminent and threatened nuclear war. She was concerned with the Cuban Missile Crisis and JFK's assassination. One night, she got beaten up badly by Henry, 
ran away to Exeter and stayed in a boarding house. Christine, being a faithful Christian, trusted the local bishop. She went to see him to see if what she was experiencing was normal. She had started seeing beautific visions of angels and amazing mandalas, ethereal lights and heavenly music. The bishop had her committed to the local asylum, which was called Digby. Dad saw her some time later when she visited him at school and she'd just had ECT and there were these huge purple-black bruises on her temples. Back in those days, patients were not often dosed properly. Young women were given doses suitable for old men. She had several treatments of ECT. Dad felt as if he was the only lifeline she had. Dad says, looking back, his mum must have been very isolated in North Devon, split between the illiterate underclass and wealthy landowners. Even after all this, she recovered, being constitutionally very strong, of Yorkshire stock, as she always said, proudly, and was able to continue teaching at the local school. Even after all this, she recovered, being constitutionally very strong, of Yorkshire stock, as she always said, proudly, and was able to continue teaching at the local school. Henry and her were friends with Sylvia Plath and Ted Hughes when they lived in Black Torrington, a kind of far-flung fellowship of estranged souls in a remote community. Henry and her had separated because of his increasing cruelty and violence. She, like his previous wife, feared for her life. Christine was put on Librium and Valium. Dad thinks she was manic-depressive, but was diagnosed with schizophrenia because she also heard voices. During the long summer holidays of the mid-1960s, Dad has lovely memories of cycling around Brittany, France. They stayed in youth hostels, went sailing and used to make friends easily, often starting sing-alongs and parties. Dad said for a 40-year-old she coped really well with her anxiety and cycling miles and miles every day in the dry heat. She did start to do strange things, though, like organise threepenny bits, 12-sided brass coins, into amazing hexagons. And when asked about it, she said, oh, the spirits did it. One night, Dad recalls, they were sharing an attic room in Appledore at her best friend's cottage. And his mum went totally off the rails, talking and talking non-stop gibberish all night. It was the beginning of another major breakdown. At 5am and not knowing what to do, he got scared and hit her, telling her to shut up, please shut up. Poor Dad. He only just told me this story. He was so ashamed that he hit his own mother. The fragility of her senses that cuts all things to one. Now, let me tell you my story. A friend suggested on the eve of the millennium that I do a meditation retreat. 
She acted with the best intentions, I'm sure. Anyway, I decided to go. I went up to Bendigo and camped in a train carriage. It was a one-week intensive and most of my friends had done Vipassanas before. Some had even done several. I have fond memories of the time, except an aching back and stiff legs. I managed to gain some equanimity, eventually, and accepted Buddha into my heart. The lotus flowered when we were there, an auspicious sign, no doubt. The trouble wasn't with the retreat itself. It was when I got back to Melbourne that my true dysfunction blossomed. I had started my own design business six months earlier, and it was January. I didn't know at the time that January was a quiet time for businesses and that most people were away on holidays and vacations till February. Business was slow, but to me, slow was an understatement. I thought I had failed. My deepest fear was, as I wrote in my journal at the time, is not getting enough work to pay for the loan for the computer. It is the fear of not being wanted, useful, valuable and seen, feeling hidden. But then my deepest pain is in the hiding of my devotional soul, the soft, radiant, wise, soulful BB. Somehow I began to spiral down and down. I was doing many hours of meditation a day and had got past the initial pain in just sitting. I was fixated on a mission to delve as deep as I could go. I was living with a girlfriend at the time in a flat in Melbourne, and she was my constant and loyal companion through it all. I decided to go away to a friend's place down the coast near Portsea, and we were sitting there talking intimately about our childhood experiences, and I stopped watching myself. I decided to go deeper and deeper into my real feelings. Afterwards, I was so overwhelmed I had to go to bed. I said to my friend that I felt I was covered in faeces, a black, sticky, stenchy stuff over me. He said he had to go and went off sailing. <laughs> I eventually moved through this bizarre sensation and took all my clothes off and ran into the pool, screaming and laughing at the top of my lungs. I put Bob Marley on full blast, my favourite music, and out of control and ecstatic, laughed at my predicament. I made a promise to myself never to be like my grandmother or stepsister, who was also mad, schizophrenic. Little did I know I was fast approaching the time I would really lose it. Whispers, words spilling out from whispers, words forming sentences, sentences becoming poems, becoming stories, becoming lives, becoming generations. Your unconscious carves for you a bed of narrow confines. For the first month of January 2000, I was writing in my journal a lot, really, up until my hospitalisation. 
I will try and tell you what happened as honestly and thoroughly as I can. Please be patient. All up, I wrote over 8,000 words. Here is some of what I wrote. I will keep no secrets. I will not keep Dad's secrets, whatever they are. Mum, I need to tell you this, all this. Please don't walk away. Please don't try and make sense of it all, the babble I talk. It is my feelings, memories, emotions, recollections, dreams, visions and nightmares over and over again. I am trying to make sense, but sometimes you just need to feel. I need to feel. I cannot think my life. I am feeling my life for the first time since I can remember. Not being angry, not tired, selfish or boring. I am feeling my life and I can't stop it. Don't make me stop it, Mum. I'm reading my journal from this past weekend, trying to get to my truth. All I know, rationally, is that I became my mother. I became my own mother at four years old. Mum said last night, Can I take some of the pain away? It was one of the best things, she said. Let me explain. When I was four, there was a court case. My father got custody. Previously, Mum had taken me to Ireland with her new boyfriend. She left me alone a lot, and he apparently locked me in cupboards and hit me for things like not eating my mashed potatoes. We were like prisoners, held against our will, in a cold, damp, isolated cottage. Mum said she was always planning our escape from him. I remember becoming really upset when Mum brought me back. I went early one morning at Ox's Cross to say hello to Mum and give her a cuddle. Her boyfriend hit me and pushed me away and said to her, Now you must forget that girl. I was inconsolable and wouldn't let Mum touch me. I ran to my stepmum instead. I was really sick, infested with scabies, lice and worms, and deeply disturbed. I used to go around cutting up pillows, curtains and expensive gloves with scissors. As I said, Dad got custody and we moved with his wife and her two kids from England to Melbourne, Australia, in the early 80s. In court, they said Mum wasn't fit to be a mother, that she wasn't a good mum. Sure, she did some fucked up things, like I said. She had some disastrous love affairs. It wasn't drugs or booze, if that's what you're thinking. <laughs> no, she was the straightest of the whole tribe. She was insecure and prone to doubt. Her mother, my maternal grandma, died when mum was only 18 of cancer. Mum was on antidepressants for a year after that, but she coped pretty well. Thank you. You've been listening to Bee's play, Hamlet's Angel, and Bee is going to share a little bit more about the creation of her play with us now. Over to you, Bee. Thanks. Um, I, in 2006, when I finished the script, I gave it to Sally Ann Upton, um, and she passed me on to Nilgan Given, who became my mentor, who got a cultural development fund from the city of Port Phillip, 
and I worked for six months with dramaturg Martin White to finish the play and we had it launched at Woman's Word and <clears throat> got went to Newcastle, took it to Newcastle for the National Young Writers Festival. So um, now this radio, it's become a radio play, another incarnation, and Rachel Edward, you hear, you heard Rachel, Rachel Edward and Carol Middleton um, recorded at Spring Studio in Paran. Thank you. Thank you, B. Um, marvellous to listen to the first extract of your play, Hamlet's Angel. You've been listening to Brainwaves on 3CR Community Radio. You can listen to podcasts of our show at 3cr.org.au and iTunes. Send us feedback, thoughts, or just get in contact, especially if you have a story, suggestions, or topic you'd like to share. Email us at brainwaves at mifellowship.org. Post to Brainwaves at 3CR, P.O. Box 1277, Collingwood, Vic 3066. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in to 3CR next Wednesday at 5 for another episode of Brainwaves. Um, we're going to an announcement now and stay tuned for Renegade Economist coming up next on 3CR. Do you want to get in contact with a socially progressive audience and diverse communities? Are you organising a forum, concert, festival, rally, call-out or film screening and want to let people know? Unlike other community radio stations, 3CR doesn't have commercial advertising, but we do offer not-for-profit, community and government organisations a chance to connect with 3CR's diverse and lively audience. Go to www.3cr.org.au and find out about our very affordable community announcements or call 3CR on 9419 8377 and get your event on air. I'm so excited and I just can't hide it. Hey Jodie, I'm so excited. I just can't hide it. Oh, just in the words of the Pointer Sisters, hey? Why? What's happening? The new 3CR t-shirts are coming out. We had a competition, Kate Reid won it and it's so beautiful. It's got roses and a love heart, and then the caption is, resistance is fertile. Oh, too deadly that, eh? So in order to get one, go to the 3CR website and follow the link to shop, and there's $30. $30? Oh, what a bargain. And $25 for kids. You'll be able to secure one for yourself because they're in hot demand. Yay, get one now. This is Izzy Brown from Combat Wombat. 3CR's annual Radiothon is almost here. At 3CR, we're calling to you to activate the airwaves by donating your money from the 1st of June till the 14th to 3CR's annual Radiothon. So keep 3CR active on the airwaves for another year. Any amount you can afford makes a big difference, so donate. Go online to 3cr.org.au or call us on 94198377. Let's do it together and support 3CR, truly independent community radio. Yeah! VoiceWorks Magazine is proud to present its 100th issue, Catharsis. This special edition is double-sized, packed with more of the best fiction, non-fiction, poetry and visual art from contributors under 25. And to celebrate this milestone, 
past writers and editors have returned to its pages. Featuring original work by Benjamin Law, Van Badham, Oliver Mole, Romy Ash, Lorelei Vashti, Liam Peeper, Tom Doig and Ainsley Meredith, VoiceWorks Catharsis is on sale now and available from all good bookstores and online. Check out our website, voiceworksmag.com.au. VoiceWorks is a 3CR supporter. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.